0: God didn't rescue them because they're good people, because they're not. He rescued them and brought them into this land because he made a promise to Abraham. Welcome to The Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Fox Den. I began a series on telling the Bible story, and today is part three of that series where I'm going to cover the storyline from Joshua to Ruth. However, let me go ahead and recap the story up to this point. In the last two episodes, we looked at the timeline through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And let me remind you why Moses wrote the Pentateuch. He wanted to show the people who God is and what he is like. He wanted to show them what God has done for them, rescuing them based on his promise to defeat Satan and his promise to Abraham. He also wanted them to know who they are, the people of God, based on his promise to the father of faith, Abraham. Finally, God gave the people of Israel laws for living as God's people once they entered the promised land. In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, Moses established the context. He shows the people God's power in creation. He showed the problem of mankind with the sin of Adam. He showed the grace of God in promising to defeat Satan and rescue a people for himself. He showed them God's justice in destroying all mankind except for Noah and his family. And this, too, shows the grace of God. He didn't annihilate all of mankind. He rescued Noah and his family. But if you remember, God had to rescue somebody in order to keep his promise in Genesis 3.15. And then from Genesis 12 to Genesis 50, we see the four patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. God called Abraham to the land of Canaan and promised that he would give him that land. By the end of Genesis, Jacob and his entire family relocated to Egypt. And this was because there was a famine in the land, and Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, had become powerful in Egypt. And then several hundred years later, God rescues the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. He called Moses to lead them out of Egypt and to the Promised Land. By the end of Deuteronomy, the Israelites were ready to enter the land that God promised to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. And Joshua was going to lead the people into the land. And that leads us to the book of Joshua. Now, you can break Joshua into two parts chapters 1 through 12, conquering the land, chapters 13 to 24, dividing the land. In chapter 1, Joshua is commissioned to lead the people into the promised land. In chapter 2, they send spies into Jericho to check out the land. And there in Jericho was a prostitute by the name of Rahab, and she hid the spies so that they wouldn't be found. But she made a deal with them. She would help them if they protected her and her family when the people of Israel conquered Jericho. Do you see the faith that she had? She didn't merely believe the people could conquer Jericho. She believed that they would conquer Jericho. But it wasn't because the people were so numerous. She believed the people of Israel were going to conquer Jericho because the people of Jericho heard what God had done for the people of Israel. Look at Joshua chapter 2, verse 10. Then look at how the people of Jericho responded to the news. Their hearts melted. They were terrified. But hear the confession of Rahab in Joshua 2.11. The God of the Israelites is the God of heaven and earth. What a simple act of faith. So Rahab helped the spies because she believed God was going to conquer Jericho. And she made a deal with the spies to save herself and her family. Now, this may seem like a small act of faith and perhaps even cowardly. She did this to protect herself and her family. But the New Testament paints Rahab in a very positive light. You see, she's a hero. And if you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, you'll see that she's an ancestor of Jesus Christ. She's also mentioned for her faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. So Rahab helps the spies, and they return, and they give a report. So Israel crosses the Jordan River, and they conquer Jericho. Now, this victory was clearly from God. The city was surrounded by a wall, but God promised the people that he would give them the city. We see that in Joshua chapter 6 verse 2. And then take a look at Joshua chapter 6 verses 20 and 21. The priests blew trumpets and the people shouted and the walls of Jericho fell. And the Israelites rushed in and killed all the people and the livestock, except for Rahab and her family. After Jericho, Israel conquered the land of Canaan the land that God promised Abraham. And again, this land is present-day Israel. And then in chapters 13 to 24, Israel divides the land among the 12 tribes of Israel, which are the descendants of the sons of Jacob. Now, just as a point of clarification, the descendants of Levi didn't get a land. This tribe became the priesthood. And we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And Joshua chapter 13, verse 14. And then also, Joseph didn't get a land, but his two sons did. And then this brings us to the book of Judges. And around this point, Joshua is dead. And the people are in the land, and they're in the land that is allotted to their tribes. But they failed to follow the instructions from God and drive out all the inhabitants of the land and destroy their idols and their images. And this is going to come back to haunt the people of Israel. Now, before I get too far into the book, let me point out several features of the book of Judges. First, think of the book of Judges as a cycle. The people sin against God. He sends trouble. They cry out to Him for help. God sends a judge to deliver them. We're going to see this pattern over and over in the book of Judges. And then second, in the book of Judges, think of a judge as a military leader or a rescuer. In this instance, he doesn't judge legal cases. And third, the end of Judges captures the attitude of the people of Israel in the land. Take a look at Judges chapter 21, verse 25. The people did what was right in their own eyes. And this is the heart of all of us, which we get from Adam. By nature, we hate God, and we want to be God ourselves. Remember how Eve was tempted. Satan told her, God knows you'll be like him. By nature, we don't want to submit to God, and neither did the people of Israel. However, had they followed God's instructions, things would have gone much better for them. Now, before you think that God punished the people for small infractions, look at what Judges chapter 2, verse 11 says. They did evil in God's sight and served the Baals or the false gods. They rejected the God who brought them out of slavery. And this is a violation of the first and second commands in the Ten Commandments. Notice how fast the people of Israel rejected God after entering the land. And this is why God told them to destroy the idols and images. He knows our hearts are drawn to false gods. And this is why our salvation is 100% dependent on God. If our salvation depends on us even 1%, even a fraction of a percent... We have no hope because our hearts are always drawn away from God. None of us would seek for God on our own. And notice also the stubbornness of the people. God raised up judges to deliver them from those who plundered them, but they didn't listen to the judges. We see that in Judges chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Because the people transgressed God's covenant, God didn't drive the nations out of the land. We see that in Judges chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, and he tells us why. He will test them to see if they will walk in the ways of the Lord, and here's a spoiler alert. They don't. As we move through the book of Judges, we see a recurring theme. The people did what was right in their own eyes. Now, it's easy for us to criticize the people of Israel for quickly abandoning God and engaging in wickedness but their hearts are the same as ours. Their hearts are prone to evil due to their relationship with Adam, and we're no different. So how did God respond to them? He sent nations to trouble them. And notice that God is the one who sent the nations to conquer the people of Israel. For example, Judges 3.8, he sold them into the hand of the king of Mesopotamia. And in Judges 3, verse 13, he gathered people from Ammon and Amalek to defeat the people. So we see this pattern throughout Judges. And keep in mind that it is God who rescues his people through a judge. For example, look at how God defeated the Midianites. God called Gideon to rescue his people. And we see in Judges chapter 7 that Gideon gathered 300 men. And he divided them into three companies, and each man had a trumpet and a pitcher with a torch inside. And they surrounded the camp and the Midianites. When Gideon blew his trumpet, all the men blew their trumpets, and they broke the pitchers with the torches in them. And the Midianite army responded in fear, and many of them killed each other, and the others fled. And Israel pursued them, and they defeated them. Now, picture what happened. It's dark, you're in the camp. And then all of a sudden, there's trumpets blaring all around you, hundreds of trumpets, and hundreds of torches surrounding you, coming at you. You would likely assume that it is thousands of soldiers coming to defeat you. And in the confusion and at night, you wouldn't be able to see if the people around you were friend or foe. So God used this strategy to defeat the Midianites. He used the enemy against themselves. You see, God gave them the victory. Now, there is another judge that's well known. Not going to cover the story, but just so you get to know this person in the right context. And that judge's name is Samson. And his story is in Judges chapter 13 to 16. And one thing I do want to mention is that God gave him the strength to defeat the Philistines. He prayed in Judges 16, verse 28, and we see in verse 30 that he caused the temple to fall, defeating the Philistines. Now, things didn't get better after Samson. In fact, things got worse. Wickedness in the land reached the same level as Sodom. Men from the tribe of Benjamin acted wickedly. And you see that in Judges chapter 19, verse 22. Their conduct was parallel to the men of Sodom in Genesis chapter 19, verse 5, and that brought conflict between tribes of Israel. Now, the span of time of the book of Judges is about 300 years. And again, the last verse of the book of Judges shows us the heart of the land. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And this brings us to the book of Ruth. Now, the story of Ruth is not a continuation of the Bible story following the book of Judges. It actually occurs during the time of the Judges and fairly closely to the beginning of that time. It begins with an Israelite woman named Naomi, and she had a husband and two sons, and they lived outside the promised land in Moab. Now, Moab is not part of Israel, and it was located southeast of the Dead Sea and her two sons married women from Moab. Now, let me tell you about Moab. We find the origin of Moab in the book of Genesis. It's a smaller story in Genesis, so I didn't cover it back in episode 52. However, I think it plays an important role in this story. If you remember in Genesis, Lot, Abraham's nephew, fled Sodom, and then God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt, so only Lot and his two daughters survived. Now, thinking there were no men available, the daughters schemed to maintain the descendants of Lot. So the daughters got their father drunk at night, and they laid with him. And both daughters ended up getting pregnant from their father, Lot. One child became the father of the Ammonites, and the other child became the father of the Moabites. Now, let's fast forward back to the time of the Judges and in the land of Moab, the land which belongs to the descendants of the child of Lot and one of his daughters. And this is the land in which Naomi and her family lived. Well, Naomi's husband and her two sons died, and Naomi decided that she was going to return to Israel. One of her daughters-in-law returned to her people, but Ruth returned to the land of Israel with Naomi stating that Naomi's people would be her people and Naomi's God would be her God. After arriving in Israel, Ruth went to glean from the fields. Gleaning isn't an English word that we use much today. It basically means to gather bit by bit. So if you went to glean from a wheat field, you'd be picking kernels up from the ground one at a time. In the Old Testament, when God gave the people a law to live in the land, he made a provision for the poor. When somebody harvested their field, the owner of the field would leave some of the wheat around the edge, and they would not pick up that which fell to the ground. That way the poor and sojourners could come and gather grain for themselves. We see this law in Leviticus chapter 19 verses 9 and 10, In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, so Ruth goes out to glean from the fields. Now, one thing to note here is if Ruth is gleaning from the field, it seems clear that she and Naomi were poor. So Ruth went out and she gleaned from the field, and then Boaz told Ruth to glean from his field and no other. Now, let me take a moment to introduce Boaz to you. First, he was related to Naomi's husband. Second, he had a famous mother. Do you remember Rahab from the book of Joshua? She was the prostitute that helped the spies in Jericho. If you take a look at Matthew chapter 1, Matthew shows us the line of Christ. And there in verse 5, you see that Rahab is the mother of Boaz. Now, do you see who Boaz married in verse 5? Another spoiler alert. Boaz and Ruth get married, and as a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's husband, Boaz redeemed that which belonged to him and his sons, and this included Ruth. Now, by redeem, Boaz purchased Elimelech's property, and that means that he purchased Ruth to be his wife. Now, this redemption, this redeeming Ruth, is actually a picture of Christ who purchased us. Or redeemed us with his own blood. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20, you will see that we don't belong to ourselves, but that we were bought with a price. And that price is the very blood of Jesus. Now I want you to notice something else about the genealogy in Matthew 1. Rahab and Ruth are only 2 of 4 women named in the entire genealogy. And Rahab and Ruth are Gentile women. They're not Israelites, and this shows us the amazing grace of God. So what did we see in these three books? Well, we see that God kept his promise. People entered the land. Second, we see the sinfulness of the people. In the book of Judges, the people continued to fall into sin, and they didn't do what they were supposed to. They didn't drive the inhabitants out of the land. God didn't rescue them because they're good people, because they're not. He rescued them and brought them into this land because he made a promise to Abraham. And how quickly they turned from the God who brought them out of the land of slavery and they turned to false gods. But remember, our hearts are no different. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we would forsake God in a heartbeat. And third, we get a glimpse of the amazing grace of God. God kept his promise, even though the people turned away from him. You see, God is faithful even when we're unfaithful. And we see his grace toward people like Rahab and Ruth. And then finally, we see that God preserves the line of Christ, which is necessary for him to keep his promise to defeat Satan and to keep his promise he made to Abraham. Well, if we look at these books, especially Judges, things aren't looking good. The people continue to fall into heinous sins, but don't worry, our salvation isn't based on our conduct or good works. Our salvation is based on the promise of God in Christ, and He cannot lie. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at the com. If you enjoy the Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening, and remember, faith comes by hearing.